This is Prayer Room Companion, episode 27, recorded October 20th, 2010. Demographic Winter. Welcome to Prairie Rome Companion. I am your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And we are back this week. Uh, it's it's getting cooler. The fall is upon us, Father. Are you? I, have you turned the boiler on yet at the Newman Center? No, I'm going to uh, get a good confession before I do that because I'm always afraid that I'll blow up. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, Okay. Uh, maybe not quite that. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we, we spoke recently about stewardship. Uh, here's a good case where you can support uh, the priests of our diocese uh, with their physical plant needs so they don't, they're don't they not afraid of blowing up when they start their boiler. Uh, oh, actually, this is a this is a new boiler. It was put in around 2002 or 2003 by Father Scott Trainer. Oh. Uh, I'm just a little afraid of, like, igniting two natural gas jet engines. <laughs> what? Alrighty then. Uh, moving on. Essentially, what they are. <laughs> That's true. You're right. That's true. So, uh, I guess uh, talking about combustible topics as we are. That's how about that segue, Father, for our topic for today. <laughs> uh, <Ooh. laughs> um, well, let's just start the way that we talked about, Father, the financial crisis of the day, and 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 you and I were talking about this. You want to unpack this a little bit? What 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 we're where we're going here? Well, it's, uh, it seems like that's you know majority of what we're hearing about, David. I even saw uh, this morning uh, a news thing that uh, over in England, in this global kind of economic crisis, uh, the government there is saying that they uh, are going to have to cut 500,000 jobs. Yeah. Uh, 500,000 government jobs. And that's a lot of jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in our country, of course, we have our, our uh, national election looming and Certainly, one of the the, the biggest uh, political phenomena of recent years has been the uh, the Tea Party movement, um, which, by and large, seems to be focused by and large seems to be focused on uh, financial issues, um, you know, growing, ballooning um, budget deficits, national debt, and so on. And that seems to be certainly. I think the social issues uh, are, are are there, but but what seems to really have people's attention. Um, and more than that, really seems to have them worked up is uh, where we are with uh, the financial state of our country uh, today, but also going on down the road. Right. You see, uh, here in South Dakota, one politician has an ad where there's children at breakfast and talking about how they they're going to have like was it forty four thousand dollars in debt. Right. Um, but. This is, but so there's a lot of interest, a lot of energy about it, that they're throwing these into the ads. This is the majority of political ads. No matter what side of the aisle you seem to be on, this is the majority of where – this seems to be the focus and the intention of those political ads. Right. Um, you know, where where we're at today, but also, again, as you mentioned, the, the kids sitting at the table, where we're leaving the next generation. Um, Tugging at your heartstrings. Exactly. Uh, and it's certainly with the uh, – one of the things that fascinates me in, in this whole discussion is, um, frankly, I mean, in a certain sense, uh, politicians' hands are tied to some degree because so much of the problem is what's called non-discretionary spending, um, entitlement spending, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and where that's going long term by the, the all the nonpartisan projections from the – Congressional Budget Office and other organizations within and without the government, outside of the government, um, all saying that you know we've got a serious 
financial well perhaps crisis that's here now but could may only get worse as we go forward uh because there simply isn't we don't see at least where we're going to get the money to fund all of these non-discretionary entitlement programs and i have to tell i mean speaking personally this is something that i'm paying much more attention to not just on the uh vocational level of my priesthood and dealing with parishioners but because my mom's on medicare you know, and that her Social Security is a uh, good, not the whole, but a good part of her uh, retirement income. And so right. stuff is something I pay attention to. Right, and, and, and I'm sure you've heard things uh, similar to what I have. I mean, me um, as, a, as a husband and father, but even for you as a priest to uh, pay into Social Security, um, people our age are told don't count on it or don't count on it to be what it is today. In other words, probably going to raise the age at which you can receive Social Security benefits, uh, maybe changes in the the amount of uh, payment, monthly payment that people will receive with Social Security by the time that we get to, into the early 60s, the age at which right now you can begin to draw on Social Security. That probably won't be there when we get there. Well, and although I have to say for myself, Dr. Bergwald, is that I love being a priest. And so hopefully I'll still be active as a priest in the parish in South Dakota at that time. That, that that's certainly true. <laughs> so we were talking about this, and and maybe as you put it, one of the issues that's not brought up in this context, which exactly is, is demographic changes. You know, uh, it's you don't hear about it on uh, the radio talk shows. You don't hear about it on television. You don't hear about it from candidates. I mean, in some ways, because it's it's not a political fix; it's a cultural fix, but. That there is, we have this imbalance in our demographics, or an imbalance in the way uh, the population of the United States is situated, uh, that's leading to a lot of these issues. Right. I, I think, I mean, taking Social Security as an example, I remember, and, and please, listeners, don't quote me on this. This is working out <laughs> rough memory. Um, I do not subscribe to fake but accurate, as Father and I were talking beforehand. So this is my rough memory. But I think it was the case that back when Social Security was started by President Roosevelt, um, FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, in the 30s, there were something like 10, 12, maybe more workers for every retiree. Um, in other words, for every every person retiring, there are at least ten people, if not more, who who were able to support them by their payments into Social Security. Um, today, I think we're getting down. I don't know if we're at two to one, but I think we're approaching that. Where that is, where uh, for every retiree, there may only be a handful um, moving towards two people supporting that retiree. And it's important to think about that, uh, take a moment to put your brain around that, that concept because the, uh, for example, again, Social Security is not like your IRA because in your IRA you spent uh, so many years and you put your money in and your money gained interest or whatever it is and then now when you retire or you reach the time we start drawing from your uh, retirement account, uh, you draw out a... a appropriate amount of money and maybe you draw out just enough where it keeps on replenishing itself through interest or whatever or whatever your needs are, but you're drawn out of that set pool, whereas Social Security or Medicare or other things like that, they're paying out what they're getting in each year. So it's kind of like uh, your standard budget. Right. Uh, standard budget income and outcome have to have to balance out. And what is the source of income for Social Security, for Medicare, for things like that? It's uh, those who are currently working. Right. For a long time, I was 
I, I literally worked under the illusion that the that my so when I when I receive a check uh, uh, from my whoever my employer has been over time. Um, so today it's of course the diocese, um, and there's that FICA, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Um, that that my my Social Security payment was going into. Uh, <laughs> What uh, former vice presidential <laughs> candidate or for, vice president presidential candidate Al Gore famously called the <laughs> debates the lockbox? Um, going into this lockbox, in other words, sort of going into a, an account in my name that will be available to me to draw upon, and that's not the case, as you were just saying. What I pay in gets paid out in Social Security benefits today. So it's, I, I think some that that's one thing that people misperceive about social security. I'm not saving for myself. I am supporting retirees and there's nothing wrong with that. I, 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 from a Catholic perspective, there's certainly nothing wrong with, with, uh, current workers, those in the labor force, uh, those employed, um, supporting, uh, those who need supporting. Now you can get into other quibbles there, but that basic principle is certainly not problematic. No, Aaron, thank you for uh, helping to uh, provide for my mom's social security. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so you know, that's going on, but we have this change, as, as you were referring to, and then I was, as I was saying as well, where there are a lot fewer workers for every retiree. Uh, and I think uh, you, you referred to, uh, I think, uh, Britain earlier. Europe has certainly seen huge problems with this because they have government-guaranteed pension plans and they are running out of money much more quickly than we are. And so you all sorts of repercussions. France, there's strikes going on because the, the government's trying to change the things the way things work. And and uh, this is a major problem, not just in our country, but in, in France, other are they striking because uh, In France, are they striking because they want to go to a five-day work week instead of the four-day work week? Yes, I or think so. Or are they striking because they want them to retire at uh, 62 instead of 60? Well, I... All of the above. I'm not. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> the uh, I know it's young workers, and also I think changing. You know, it's very difficult, from what I understand, in France right now. It's very difficult under current labor laws to get fired. Very difficult. I mean, almost practically impossible to get fired. And and the the government is trying to change that. Uh, politicians are trying to change that. Where, frankly, it's easy for an employer to to get rid of. Uh, somebody who's not pulling their weight, uh, somebody who's not actually doing their job. And for some reason, the uh, young workers don't like that idea. I, I don't know what that says, but... So anyway. The, uh, so culture should decide across the board what it comes down to is that there's there's more, or there's getting to be more and more the, the population distribution. So if you think about, we have, was it 300 million, 250 million in the United States? Three, I think. 300 million United States. And while the population is, you know, still growing to a certain extent, the the majority of people, the majority of people, uh, more to the age range of those 300 million is moving old, is sliding older and older. If you think about like having a balloon, you know, and you squeeze one end of the balloon and so the air forces up to one end of it, you know, and so the population distribution in the younger areas, uh, children, those in the 20s, 30s, and things like that is proportionally much smaller than those in uh, the 50s and 60s, those that are retirement age or on the cusp of retirement age in the next uh, 10 or 20 years. Uh, and so what's happening then is that uh, all those people are going to be one needing, many of them needing to, to draw on those uh, uh, 
those social programs, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and the people that are supposed to be there available to support them just aren't there. It's not that they're not generous. It's not that they're not working. It's not that they're lazy. It's not that they're not making money. It's that they're just not there. Right. And why? So the question is, yeah, go ahead. why? Exactly. Why? Uh, and you, and I think why aren't we hearing anyone talking about this either? Right. Because this used to me to be a fundamental <laughs> and systematic problem that we don't hear people talking about. And you, you mentioned, yeah, our, our population is still growing. Uh, demogra- uh, dem- 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 scholars of demographics, <laughs> whatever they're called, demographers, demographicers, whatever. Wow, yeah. Anyway, those guys, those, those folks, they uh, 2.1 is considered the, the replacement or the, uh, what you need to maintain your population. 2.1 children. Um, That's for, to maintain, not to grow, just to correct, maintain. To maintain. So that means, and, and so for that balloon to not move completely to the other side, the bubble at least in the balloon, not to move completely to one end, you need to be having kids more than 2.1 per couple. And apparently we're not. And it's not because there's a whole lot of priests in the world either. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would that be our? If only that were our problem. You know, <laughs> yes, that's Mr. President. I'm sorry, we uh, we don't have enough money in the Social Security income lockbox because too many young people are going into priesthood and religious life, and we're just not able to maintain. Yeah, that's. I don't think that's the problem. How are you going to beat the Lord when the Lord calls? What are you going to do? <laughs> no, the problem is we're just not having kids, and I oh, don't. We, go ahead, we, Father. Go ahead. I think this is of what we call a contraceptive mentality that have come into uh, in in our American culture in general. Is this uh, we're seen as the fruit of a contraceptive mentality, the way that this population curve is or the population distributions are coming about. We're seen Okay, sorry about that. We uh, lost our connect- Father and I lost our connection briefly, so we're back. Uh, Father, we had sort we've of like- reconnected. We've reconnected. I think, we, I I think we've got a good connection here. I, I thought, is it, a, is it a weak connection or a strong connection, Father? What, what do you want? Oh, I think it's a strong connection. Okay, I think so, too. Um, so uh, we both sort of – we have just had just left off with us both, both asking why. Why is this? And you were beginning to give an answer. Right, so why this uh, uh, kind of – why do we see this demographic change in Europe and the United States? Right. And what we see this is what we call the contraceptive mentality uh, in church circles, contraceptive mentality. And we, this is the fruit of that contraceptive mentality, the mentality that looks at children as a, another consumer product, children not necessarily as a gift uh, from God and his providence to be cherished, but it's just another part of nature that we can master and dominate and control. Right. And so children are viewed as a, as a convenience. Uh, I, I think that's very well said. It's a, as a product. As, again, though, I, I love the way you just said that, um, <clears throat> as another part of nature that we seek to control, because that, that, typifies, that typifies in many ways the, uh, the, the modern project, that is, for us to, to dominate, to master, con- to control um, the world in which we live, and and there's some certainly truth and good in that impulse, but it can go out of control as it has in the case of the contraceptive mentality. 
Exactly. And it, it, it's, if, if you want to go real deep philosophically, it goes all the way back to uh, Sir Francis Bacon uh, and just kind of his whole – and the uh, extension of his concept of knowledge as power. And so we have knowledge of the reproductive systems, and so now we impose uh, our power on the reproductive system in a certain vision and way that actually ends up robbing life of some of its beauty. Not that we shouldn't know these things, that we, that we aren't allowed to use some of this knowledge but that it can rob life of some of its beauty. Right. It's, it's just knowledge of its own sake uh, is, is a good which we ought to somehow exploit for what we see as our own benefit as individuals or as a community. So, I mean, there is a, there is, I mean, you can, you can see the, the positive impulse underneath that, but you can also very easily see how it can go astray as it has. Exactly. It's well. It's kind of like you know modern food science. You know, it's a good thing, but it still brought us Velveeta. <laughs> yes, it did. But it melts well. That's you know that's what they say at least. It melts well. I don't know. Uh, have you ever tried to melt it under a broiler or a toaster oven? No, I have not. Like craft singles or something like that. Yeah, go ahead and try that. Someday. Okay. All right. I'll I'll have to do so, that. And 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 then maybe melt a piece of plastic beside it and see which one looks. <laughs> So yeah, so we so this this uh, basic yeah. impulse, this this philosophical premise underlying much of our culture, much of our civilization. Uh, this is one particular manifestation of it, um, as you said, the contraceptive mentality, where children are not a gift as everything else is, which we receive from our heavenly Father, but rather they are an aspect of nature of our nature, which we seek to imp- impose control over. And. Uh... You know, and, and, and talking with couples or hearing couples talk, I should say, not so much that I'm fishing for maybe any of these things, but hearing some of these things come, uh, come to me or uh, come up in conversation where couples, you know, where their consideration is, you know, do we want a jet ski, do we want a four-wheeler, or is it ready, is it time to have a kid? Right. And so it's just this mentality of, and so what we've had is we've had generations now in their 50s, 60s, uh, in their late 40s, where they were, maybe they got married, or maybe they didn't even get married. But the questions for them were: We want to live the way that we want to live, and so we're not going to have children. That the gift of life, in some way, would be a hindrance upon our vision of our own lives together. The gift of new life, from as the fruit of our love, would in some way be a hindrance on that. Right, and then right. the really curious thing there is: this is. Uh... I mean, a, a shift that's much more radical than many people, I think, realize, and a shift that has radical consequences that uh, we're seeing the consequences in many ways. We'll get to that later. Um, but but I don't think people, even those who see the consequences, understand the origins here. That is a, a significant change in the purpose of marriage and marital love, sexual love. Historically, at, if, certainly for among uh, within the Judeo-Christian mentality, uh, which has included both Catholics and Protestants until really the early 20th century, the, the purpose of marriage was and, and, and marital love, sexual love, was for the good of the couple, certainly. Um, we, we marry each other because we love one another, but also for the, for the procreation and education of children. Those were the dual purposes of marriage and sexual love that typifies marriage. And... Exactly. Very much so. And uh, we've lost that. We've lost it now to this idea that marriage is in some way a source of pleasure. 
or maybe the cultural notion of happiness. Uh, and I think culturally we think of happiness more as pleasure uh, more often than not. Right. Um, but, and so, and, and we can see this even in the sense of kind of the, the readiness of divorce in our culture today, that if it's difficult or it's, the, the fruits don't seem obvious or it becomes hard, uh, then, well, quit. Exactly. Because what's the what's the yeah lost sight of what's the good of marriage? What what are the ends? What's the purpose of marriage? What are the, what are the reasons that we marry? We marry now because we have strong feelings for another. We don't marry to unite ourselves to the other person permanently, both spiritually and physically, um, and as a as the fruit of that, to have children to raise up the next generation literally. Right, right, and so. We're seeing these manifestations of, you know, not having a younger generation to support the older generation, right. and so now we're starting to, 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 in some ways, reap that fruit. You know, yes, maybe they might have had more fun in their thirties or forties. Some of these couples that that didn't have, that never had children, right? They might have, in in their minds, had more fun. Right. But now there's questions. There's looming questions about. Uh, the weakness of their own life, the weakness of their own mortality, and how these things are going to have an impact on the rest of their life. Father, I'm curious, if, if you were to guess, in your years as a priest, if just roughly, how many how many couples have you done marriage prep with, ballpark? Well, I'm in my fifth year as a priest, not quite four and a half years. I'm in my fifth year as a priest, and I'd say probably I've prepped close to 80. 80, okay. So, and by the way, that's just one little tangent there. I mean, priests, obviously, uh, living uh, celibacy for the Lord, still, <laughs> you've, you've, you've met with, counted with 80 couples preparing for marriage. I mean, obviously, yeah. priests have, and, and that's just in four and a half years. So, I, yeah, anyway. So, Father, what do, you talk, what do you see as, you alluded to it already a little bit, but, but I, I'm curious, just in your experience of, of counseling 80 couples preparing for marriage, um, what's underlying this consciousness of mentality where they, they, they want to delay or avoid uh, having children? What, what do you see underneath that? Well, I think it, going back to, uh, you didn't prep me for this question. I know. Going back to what we're uh, thinking on my feet or on my seat. Um, <laughs> going back to what we were talking about in terms of pleasure and happiness and things like that, I think for a lot of them they think, well, actually, there's two things. I think one is, you know, the worry that in some way the child, you know, when the child comes, the fun will be gone. Okay. You know, and maybe they've, uh, maybe because of college life or single life, they've gotten used to a notion that maybe fun is equated with uh, the bar. You know, okay. I, I didn't do marriage prep for them, but uh, my best friend from high school and his wife, who actually, I actually set them up uh, when we were in high school, um, you know, I remember them one time, I, I came back and visited them, and they both had new cars. I'm like, wow, you both got new cars. And he said, yeah, we discovered that we had money once we quit going to the bar. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and not, not that they were uh, wild, I mean, real wild and crazy, but just that they, you know, go to the bar Friday and Saturday, maybe even Thursday night, you know, occasional Sunday night, depending on what's going on, and, you know, they'd spend a fair amount of money, and you could spend... You know, two hundred dollars a weekend, three hundred dollars a weekend. You know, and goodness gracious, that's a nice car payment each month. Right. Um, so, 
let alone it's a nice way to save up for uh, uh, delivery fees for a baby. Right. Uh, but so this conception of fun. So the baby comes, the fun will stop. Okay. And I think also because in high school these days, they kind of get this idea uh, pumped down their throat, you know, uh, babies aren't fun, right, to try and keep kids from having sex. Right, right, right. right. You know, instead of saying that you have dignity, that sex is a beautiful thing that should be saved for the dignified home of marriage, we're, we're telling them don't have sex because then you'll have a baby and life will suck. That's a very good, that's an excellent point, I think, Father, that we forget because oftentimes, you know, in promoting abstinence, you know, even even you know, people like us working in ministry can fall into that's that's an excellent point that we can fall into that trap where don't have a kid now because then your life is going to be messed up. Yeah. Um, as, as one political candidate uh, once said, you know, I wouldn't want my uh, daughters to be punished with a child. Exactly. Uh, okay. And uh, so the, uh, uh, the so that notion. You can see, too, like how, like, you know, they have the babies that, you know, they're in a home ec class and they've got to take care of a baby for a month or something like that, or they have an egg right. and they've got to carry Have you ever seen those little things that they do? Yep. yep. Um, so. Okay. Uh, and the reason I want, because. And the, I got a second thing, though, too. Okay, but, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I think the second thing is fear. Okay. We're not ready. Okay. I mean, emotionally or, you know, uh, skill-wise. You know, a lot of well-intended couples, I think, that want to have children, but they say, oh, I just don't think we're ready. Right. Now, mind you, I mean, there is a certain point of readiness that maybe, you know, you should, uh, uh, if you're just married, you know, maybe it's not a bad idea to wait a year, two years, you know, before uh, you achieve pregnancy or something like that, as you learn what it means to be husband and wife before you learn what it means to be mother and father. Right. Um, but at the same time, uh I think you can keep. Uh, I think what I've seen some couples is a tendency to keep talking themselves out of it. Right. Well, we're not. Well, let's try a dog first. Yeah. You know, and if sure. if, we, if we can raise the dog and keep it fed and, and watered for five years, you know, then we'll then we'll go for a baby. Right. Well, no, I mean, I think if you're looking at it that way, have the kid. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So and, uh, and I've even, I've even started telling couples. Um, in marriage trip, I say uh, you should have at least four. You should have four children, at the very least. And they all kind of laugh. And then I say, No, I'm serious. Four children, two for you, because you know you always want a boy for the dad and a girl for the daughter, right? Yeah. Two for you, and then one for the world. So we were just kind of we're talking about this way, and then one for the church. Uh, one child that you say, Okay, God, whatever you want to do with our child, you can do. If you want to make them a priest, a nun, uh, a me- a married missionary somewhere, whatever you want, this child is yours. And then after you have your four, you can have as many more as you want. <laughs> you know, what's interesting to me with that, the whole fear point, and contr- for, so we want to control, and that goes back to the very first thing we were talking about with Francis Bacon. Um, it's, sure. it's fear that's underneath a lot of our impulse to control. The unknown, we don't know what's going to happen, so I need to control it. Um, yeah. so that so that the unplanned does not occur, and and that again manifests itself in this, in the case of couples um, who contracept to delay or avoid um, having children. Okay, so all right, so I, I, yeah, I know I didn't prep, but I was thinking of that as we were talking. I, I have no, I was shocked. I mean, eighty couples. That just that I had no idea, frankly. Um, so so. Those are sort of some of the reasons that people do it, and, and I and the, the one occurred to me with the first one, by the way, comment on that, my own comment on that, um, th- that people don't know where to find fulfillment, 
and they turn to the bar or whatever, and 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 just even a good way. I mean, couples who are who are you know quote unquote good people, um, you know, don't know where to find their fulfillment. And so you talked you had talked also earlier about you know this false notion of happiness, and that seems to be driving people. We don't know where the culture doesn't know where to look to find true happiness. So. Very much so. And uh, if you're interested in that, just on for your, maybe your own reading, uh, dear listeners, there's a great book, uh, very accessible book, uh, popular level by Matthew Kelly called Rediscovering Catholicism. Uh, yeah. It talks about a lot of the uh, kind of those larger issues of pleasure versus happiness and uh, how the riches of our Catholic faith can equip us for that happiness. Absolutely. Okay, so having hijacked the, uh, the conversation briefly with asking that question, getting back on track. Uh, so where else did this lead us then? We talk about the demographic shift, the demographic winter, the consequences that way. What else, Father? Well, I think, uh, you know, during this uh, Respect Life Month uh, here in October, you know, the, uh, the other thing to think about is uh, abortion. And I don't think uh, popularly this connection is often made. You know, often abortion is a legal fight or abortion is uh, – you know, a, a culture of death, we, we forget about it being in many ways tied in with this connection to uh, the fruit of contraception. Right. That, I mean, if, you know, if, if, if children are merely a product to be controlled, um, then if something goes wrong in the control, we just get rid of the product. Exactly. And so if, uh, you know, it's, it's, right, it's product management. I'm not ready for this. You know, I'm not ready to buy a dog. Oh, we already were shipping your dog. We'll send it back. Right. You know. Uh, oops, I made a double order on Am- uh, made a double order on Amazon.com. You know, send one of them back. Right. Um, and so I, I think it, when the child is objectified in this manner, you know, as a good to be bought, it's also good to be disposed of. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I, again, as you mentioned, I, I think even among Christians, um, this is not, the connection is not often seen. That if you accept the logic, the, the, the fundamental premises of the contraceptive mentality, um, mar- what the purpose of marriage is, what the purpose of sexual love is, once you accept that, you, you undercut your rational, the grounds for your rational opposition. Uh, in many ways, to abortion. Certainly, I think it's important to make the the point that you can still be opposed to abortion because it's taking the life of an innocent human being. Uh, And so you can argue for it um, against it on those grounds, even if you accept the the contraceptive premises, the contraceptive mentality. But but you've cut out or you've removed the possibility of making this whole other larger argument against the mentality that leads somebody to decide that abortion is okay once you yourself have accepted the logic of contraception. Exactly. It just becomes that, um, it becomes a much easier decision. Yeah, it, it 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 makes it that much easier, as you said, to to accept the idea behind abortion. If if somehow you're not aware of, or you don't know, or if you're deny lie to yourself that this is not a human being, then it's that much. E- then then the contraceptive mentality very much lends itself to well, I can dispose of, discard um, this unplanned pregnancy. And it's interesting, in uh, 1969, in his encyclical letter, Humana Vitae, a very short letter, I encourage you to uh, read it sometime, on human life, 
Uh, Pope Paul VI said that uh, if, you know, if in areas where society accepts um, artificial contraception and inherent in that it's, um, its attitude and mentality, if society accepts that, then uh, we'll, leave, we'll see an increase in uh, abortion. And I said we'll see an increase in a number of things, um, dealing with the dignity of the human person, the dignity of marriage, the dignity of women, and the dignity of children. And one of those is abortion. But yet in you know, the, the popular pro-life movement in the United States, it's all focused on that legal activity in that way and very rarely focused on this internal change and conversion away from that contraceptive uh, mentality. Right. I, the, the, if, if in the, for the long-term success of the movement, that has to be addressed uh, in a broader way at some point. So. Right. I just don't know how it's going to be addressed, especially if, when you look at it ecumenically. Because so many of those uh, good, pious, uh, non-Catholic Christians and <laughs> pious Catholics, I guess, as well. Um, but I guess for the, for the non-Catholic Christians, you know, contraception isn't seen as an issue. Right. right. Isn't seen as an issue. I mean, and now mind you, for Catholics, there's many Catholics and maybe many pro-life Catholics that contracept. But they, there, there is, there's an, there's a, a, a fundamental um, logic uh, that underlies both of them, as we are already discussing. So, so, yeah. so I think that's, you know, I, I, now maybe the listeners to this podcast are aware of the consequences. But just from that, that, that subtle shift, well, or not so subtle, I guess, um, in understanding what the purpose of marriage is and sexual love is. Um, we're looking at a, a major financial crisis looming for Western civilization, as well as we've had, you know, decades now of of abortion on demand in our country and legalized abortion um, in other places, again, in Western civilization. Right. Now, and mind you, uh, dear listeners, uh, Dr. Bergwall and I are not uh, committing the logical fallacy of uh, post-hook. Ergo propter-hook. Ergo propter-hook. Right. Um, you know, after this, therefore, or before this, uh, therefore, caused by this. Exactly. Um, but uh, and we're just saying that there is a connection, and we're just curious that culturally no one seems to be talking about it. At exactly. least no one seems to talk about the demographic side of things, and maybe it's because of a blindness on the contraceptive side of things. Exactly. And, and and certainly we, we should know one. I mean, it's it's not out there. There are plenty of resources for other people. If you're interested in this topic, there there are books, articles, and so on um, that are available for you to, you to read. But it's definitely not part of the mainstream conversation, um, particularly in the context of the the uh, the financial crisis that we're in and that's before us. So right, I th- there's a great uh, there's a great uh, um, I thought it was from Ignatius Press. Um, called uh, Demographic uh, Winter. It's a, uh, uh, a movie. I thought it was on Ignatius Press. Yeah. Uh, it's about uh, six minutes long, and it's almost all uh, secular uh, people speaking. It's not a matter of uh, church theologians talking. This is um, uh, it's one hour long, and it's mostly sociologists, economicists, Econom- economists, pardon me, demographicists. Exactly. Uh, you, you like that, just looking, just looking at the numbers. Yep. Looking at the numbers. Demographic winter. Yep. Uh, that way. Then another uh, thing, just uh, a YouTube channel on uh, overpopulation is a myth. Yep. 
Yeah, from um, the Population Research Institute, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I've been used uh, doing Google search for overpopulation 101 yep. on YouTube. Yep. And so. Very good. So there are plenty of resources out there uh, to if you're interested in this exploring this topic further. So um, any final closing thoughts, Father, or we've said it all? If we have any message for you today, it's have more babies. <laughs> At least four. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right. Well, thank According you. According to God's plan for the needs in your life, and understand that there are, of course, possible special circumstances. Now, what we actually have to do, Father, is we'll have to hire somebody who speaks very quickly to insert that qualifier, just like the commercial. Disclaimers. The disclaimer. Prayer room commanders not necessarily represent the views of the Catholic guys who's involved with your It's a private enterprise of. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you again uh, for those of you who listen. I uh, hope this has been helpful and informative to you. If you have any questions about this or any other topic, as always, feel free to email me, Chris Bergwald, uh, C. Bergwald, rather, C. Bergwald, at sfcatholic.org. Uh, thanks for being here, Father. And uh, one final message would be uh, go Jacks beat Youngstown State this weekend in our homecoming game. Thank you very much for that enlightening final comment, Father Andrew Dickinson at the Newman Center um, at Brookings, South Dakota State University, Jax, as you may have inferred, dear listener. Until next week, we'll, we'll see you then. God bless. <laughs>